Startup Life, Entrepreneurship, Innovation. Welcome to the Started at KBC podcast. Hi everybody, my name is Laura Lumengu and in this episode I'll talk to two members of the Started at KBC community on how they jumped into their startup life. Next to that we'll also elaborate on the topic of this episode, data privacy, very hot topic at the moment. In this episode Dimitri Verelst will join us. He's the co-founder of Juru, an online platform based on an API that gives customers full control to manage their online identity. And apparently only a few people can explain the essence of GDPR as clearly as Dimitri can. Tom van der Putte will join us too. He's the co-founder of Bingley, an app that interviews the patient in a smart way ahead of the consultation so symptoms are accurately communicated to the doctor. So Dimitri, tell me, when did you take the jump and start your entrepreneurial life? And what do you do specifically in that life at the moment? Um, what is all your focus and attention going to? Okay. Um, we started a little over 10 years ago with my first company. Um, our vision was to make uh, computer games. We, we, my co-founder back then, uh, we studied together from age 10, I think. Mm -hmm. And very soon we decided like we want to start a gaming company. Um, he chose the technical route. He went to study computer sciences in Brussels. I studied visual arts because he also needed a creative uh, part to make games. And then when we graduated, we, we immediately jumped into the entrepreneurial life. Then we noticed making games is really hard. You need a big <laughs> team. You need a lot of money. Exactly. Um, yeah. So we pivoted into developing um, services for the broadcast industry, which was still closely related to what we want to do. It visualizes 3D works in real time. Um, so we started working for companies like VRT, VTM, um, providing visuals for the news broadcast, for the election shows mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, and we always tried to make time within the company to come up with ideas for new startups. So whenever we had some cash reserve, we could invest in, in a new project that we could start up. And the latest uh, thing we started was Juru. And I think this time it's all in. It's um, So the entire company is now uh, working on Juru, which is um, a personal data wallet. We're, we're trying to build an identity that's actually useful that you can use to manage your daily life and we started it from a frustration of like you have to onboard in so many different services um, and each time again and again you have to provide the same personal data with every contact resign if you want to get a car loan if you want to insure that car if you want to buy a house if you want to sell a house Exactly. Every time you yeah. need to provide. Or when you go data. to the commune, it's always you're always thinking, but they have that data. They have it somewhere. Why do yeah. I have to give it again? Absolutely. Yeah. And now with the upcoming or the GDPR laws that are now in place, it actually makes sense if you would manage your own data, and um, that's what we're doing. So that I myself have control over it. Absolutely. Yeah. So a serial entrepreneur. Yes, you I would are. say so. Yeah. Yes. Tom, are you too a serial entrepreneur? <laughs> Someone that started a long time ago? Yeah, you could say so. Uh, I also started 10 years ago as an uh, entrepreneur, but in um, 
medical communication and education. Uh, I worked, worked for the big pharma companies uh, to make, uh, as I say, uh, yeah, campaigns, uh, communication campaigns, but also educate doctors, pharmacists about uh, new um, technologies and, and uh, new uh, uh, products. Uh, I also had uh, a business in uh, cosmetics, something completely different in uh, in e-commerce. But um, back to the medical part, I did a lot of um, yeah interviews with doctors and patients all over the world for for my clients, and I learned from these interviews that there is a big frustration about how consultations, medical consultations, are are managed today. Eh? Just to give you a number, uh, on average, a patient in Europe is on average interrupted by the doctor after 18 seconds, after 18 seconds only. And when we talk to doctors, they say this number is exaggerated. I interrupt my patient after five seconds. <laughs> and I think that everybody knows this feeling that uh, you go to the doctor, he interrupts you, he starts typing in the computer, um, he's not looking to you. So a lot of frustration. And with it has my, to go fast. Voila, yeah. It has to go fast. And with my, um, my business partner in the agency, in the communication agency, who is a medical doctor, uh, we had a lot of discussions about it. And, and you know... After 10 years of advertising and communication, I wanted to do something that really makes a difference uh, for people. Uh, and it's not advertising, unfortunately. Um, so we had, like um, the story, we, we had also some, uh, let's say, commercial successes, some cash to invest in uh, a new project, which will make a difference. And that's uh, how we made Bingley. Uh, we we founded Bingley one year ago as a separate company, uh, but we are already working four years on the project. Uh, and so what we do is, um, yeah, our ambition is to make consultations great again. That's what we say. And we developed, um, we believe, this, the smartest medical interview in the universe. Uh, so we start uh, asking questions to the patient at the moment that the patient books an appointment with the doctor, because at that moment, it hurts. At that moment, you have to start interviewing because it's more easy for the patient to ask accurately two questions and not a couple of days later, when you're in the in the office with the, with the doctor, maybe your symptom is already gone or you don't know anymore. Yeah. Uh, but it also gives time to the patient to think about, about the symptom, to structure the thoughts, which enables the patient to be more to the point because coming back to the fact that the doctor interrupts the patients very quickly, they do that because they know that the patient does not spontaneously come to the point. Mm -hmm. they, they are telling a lot of things which are not always relevant, exactly. uh, relevant information yeah. to help the doctor to, to uh, make a diagnosis. Yeah. And in that limited space of time, they really need to get to the core quickly. Yes, yeah. exactly. And so by preparing the consultation, by asking, we, we developed self-learning algorithms based on medical decision-making uh, uh, um, reasoning. These algorithms allow us to ask minimum 60% of the questions the doctor will ask anyway during the consultation. Mm -hmm. So we win four to five minutes of interview time, of consultation time. And this is time that the doctor can use 
to see more patients if needed. For example, in the UK, there's a big shortage of uh, GPs. You have to wait three months to, to see a GP. Uh, or in Africa or in China, for example, a, a GP sees 100 patients a day compared to 20, 25 in Belgium. So you can imagine how fast it goes. So sometimes it's useful to see more patients um, or to give more time with one patient, so the time we win in the what's called in the in, uh, in the consultation, uh, uh, it's the anamnesis is the first part of the consultation where the doctor starts gathering information. Mm-hmm. We can win four to five minutes in this part, which the doctor can then spend to give more explanation about a diagnosis, about the treatment time that is not existing today. More client centricity. Exactly, yeah. more quality yeah. uh, in the consultation. That's uh, that's our objective. Ah, okay, yeah. very cool so wasn't it difficult to go from advertising and communication to something more techy <laughs> let's that say that was uh, yeah, yeah th- that, that was one of the yeah. <laughs> of the big challenges uh, so as i said my my co-founder is a medical doctor and i'm a lawyer by um, I, I i studied law so we don't have a technical we don't have technical expertise in the in the the team now we have but in the beginning we did not have and so it was very difficult to find the right partners to help us develop uh, the algorithms but also the front end uh, the way we interact with the patient uh, um, so we we spent or maybe we lost a lot of money uh, in these first phases uh, we, we worked with external parties and it, it was not always uh, uh, easy um, for, fortunately now we have a CTO which is fantastic uh, it's a big relief we have three uh, developers now uh, working for us uh, specifically. Yeah. So your advice would be then to, if you're in the same situation, just look for a CTO, yes. someone that can come in. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And Definitely. is he or she a co-founder now or uh, mm, is it high? Not is yet. Not yet. Not yet. But you're looking into yeah, 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 yeah. structure. But that's that's my advice. But on the other hand, I also know that it's not so easy. We, we spend a lot of time finding the right one, the yeah. right one with the right uh, mentality. But also there needs to be a fit, a, a personal exactly. connection. Uh, you need to share the same uh, uh, ambitions. Yeah, uh, and values. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. Technical people, there's a big shortage uh, mm-hmm. of them. Uh, of course, you're people with uh, experience, uh, um, so it's not easy. But yeah, it's it's really important. I think if if you if you don't have a technical background and you're working in a technical environment, to have as quickly as possible uh, someone on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, and uh, Dimitri, for you, the challenges that you had with the starting up, Juru. Um, I think the main challenge is uh, with Juru, like saying personal data is not owned by the company that processes data, but should be owned by the individual. Um, bringing that message to corporates was not easy. So um, <laughs> yeah, I can it, imagine. It, it takes uh, very long sales cycles and it took us uh, almost two years to land our first contract. Mm-hmm. So a lot of workshops, a lot of awareness building a lot of talking it's it's blockchain technology so first you have to explain how blockchain works then you have to explain what the future of identity will be then you have to explain it's not because it's not your data that you cannot use the data so actually nothing is changing but we're providing a a very future-proof way of of looking at Mm -hmm. things 
And once the fit is there, then you need to find a project in which your app, uh, solution can be integrated. So it's a very, it's a very long, long process, sales cycle yeah, and yeah. long process, especially because we're in the beginning we were a pure API application. So it's it's very technical, and we rely on uh, other startups or other companies that build an end-to-end -end process. Mm -hmm where we are actually just a very small but crucial part mm -hmm. in the in the infrastructure. So we're trying to build an identity database, um, not as much a front end, and it takes a really long time for people to understand exactly what it is, the, the, yeah. the value that we bring. So you really had to ev evangelize as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and especially when you're in the blockchain area, I think a couple of years ago, it was very difficult for people to let them see this is the future. Just. Absolutely, and it's <laughs> yeah. and it's it's been a huge help on on two parts. Blockchain is becoming more and more mainstream. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're in the hype cycle. We're over uh, the the absolute top. So most people now have a basic understanding of what blockchain could bring. And I think the difficulties are not as much the technical part because we're all technical people, mm -hmm. uh, but the difficulties are more uh, building the network. The value of a blockchain is, is the people that participate yeah, in the network. Exactly. And it's thinking about a new way of um, not only distributed applications, but also a distributed economical model that makes sense. All parties that participate in the value should be rewarded according to their, mm -hmm. to their participation. So when you have those long sales cycles, how do you survive? <laughs> Like money-wise, <laughs> um, that's a, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, it's very hard because um, we we're unfunded. Yeah. So we the the good thing is all of the co-founders we were co-founding with three companies. Mm -hmm. So all of us had a bit of reserve, mm -hmm. and we could take the cash burn we had on our older companies. But at a certain point in time, even that um, mm -hmm. is reduced to nothing. So for us, everything kind of the, the entire puzzle came together at, at just at the right time. Yeah. Um, you mean now with the with the laws and everything? Yes, yeah. yes. We had hoped to land our first project before the twenty fifth of May. Yeah. And we've landed it in January. So so now finally it's yeah. picking up, and, and what, now the sales are going it's, very fast. Yeah. And what project is it? <laughs> uh, it's for the city of Antwerp. There's a Digipolis. Mm -hmm. It's. Um, it's an open city API, what they're building, which basically allows startups to access data that's provided by the individuals and IoT devices. It's a very open way of interacting between all city services, and we are providing the identification layer in that. Um, so it's a really nice project to start on. Exactly. And if you do that one well... Yeah, it's already happening. The rest yeah. is already coming in. So yeah, so yeah. we went live the twenty fifth of May. Yeah. Um, and and so far it's uh, it's looking good. So for you, the GDPR thing has been a very welcoming. <laughs> yes, uh, I say everything that's a challenge is also an yeah. opportunity for exactly. someone. So, yeah. um, what we noticed is a lot of larger companies were working on a GDPR solution before we started. And it was very hard to get into this because they obviously they're all trying to meet the deadline. Mm -hmm. And now we're actually having uh, meetings with those companies again, because most companies try to be try to do the minimal required 
changes to ma- to become GDPR compliant. But there's so much more opportunity. Absolutely, exactly, and that's yeah, what okay. we are saying. Like yeah. we are basically bringing GDPR 2.0. It's like yeah, okay. if you're in the spirit of what they're trying to do, mm-hmm. um, we actually make a lot of added value. Yeah. Uh, so you said that network was super important. Is there anyone who had a tremendous impact on your startup journey? I don't know, maybe one of your co-founders or someone else, a mentor or something who really helped you and why why did he or she had a had that impact? Um absolutely. Or family I maybe think... could could be as well. Yeah. Um, I, I think the two main people, so my co-founder, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, Joe, who um, came to us with the idea and, and we were brainstorming it. And I think without Joe, we, we wouldn't be where we are today. And uh, the second one was when we won uh, the started competition, mm-hmm. um, we got into a really close relationship with Kuhn Wingerhut, mm-hmm. who had been talking about blockchain for a really long time, who is looked at as one of the oracles exactly um, yeah so he he really helped us um to to understand the value of what we're doing mm-hmm. and and made us uh for a part of what we are today mm-hmm. absolutely so you would say that um like kun as a mentor a coach is really one of the the things from your started journey that you really yeah that was really valuable to to go to the next level Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, especially as a startup, um, as I was explaining, long sales cycles are, are very frustrating. And sometimes you just need to be able to call someone that says, uh, hang in there, it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna be okay. Yeah. And it, it's people like that that actually make the difference. Yeah. Tom, do you also have someone like that in your entrepreneurial life? Or yeah, it's, al- life? it's also my, my co-founder. Um, of course, yeah, without him, I, I think it's important if you're a startup, being alone as a starter, it's... Uh, very difficult. It's, I think it's yeah. very difficult. because very lonely. you lonely. Yeah, lonely and, and you don't have a sounding board mm-hmm. and... Uh, but yeah, specifically for our business, as a, as we are in the medical uh, uh, domain, it's always um, handy to to have a, a doctor on board. Not only for the the content, for the the, the comprehension of the yeah. of the business, but also doctors are quite um, a specific target group mm-hmm. and. Uh, enfin, it's always better to they, they they are always more open to listen to somebody who has a doctor on board, even if I'm most uh, taking the word and and doing the presentations, etc. But if they know there's a doctor on board, in terms of credibility, exactly. it, it, it helps gives you a lot. Exactly, it gives you credibility, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and it opens doors. Eh? Yeah, yeah, it opens doors. But that's from a very practical uh, uh, point of view, uh, why he's important. But more importantly, of course, it's the fact that, yeah, as I said, we are already doing business for more than 10 years. We know each other very good. Uh, um, yeah, we spend a lot of time. I see him more than my family. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so you need to... He's your to, second family. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So... It's important, to, and and we have very different um, background, expertise, uh, interests. Let's say, but but in a synergetic way. Yeah. So we are very complementary and synergetic, and that's that's exciting. Uh, how sometimes a clash of ideas can bring. Uh, 
uh, more more exactly yeah. and then because in the in the question you asked uh, maybe family i think it's also important i we are not young startups huh? we we have a, a background i'm married i have two children so you have also their responsibility so if you say if you come home and you say honey i have a fantastic idea i have a nice business but um, it's not it's not interesting anymore i will start a new uh, adventure are you uh, are you, are you ready to yeah. follow and, yeah. uh, and and now i will work uh, three times more uh, and and earn two times less uh, I, it's impo- important that uh, you are also supported there yeah. Yeah. yeah and it was okay for them yeah <laughs> i'm still married so yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay great um now we're going into the more specific part of uh, data privacy i'm gonna ask some more targeted questions on that i'm gonna start with you dimitri um Yeah, the question everybody has been waiting for, what is now the big deal about GDPR? And are there maybe any other laws, like international laws, that we need to know of? If I'm going as a Belgium startup to the US, for instance, do I need to be compliant to other data protection laws as well? And how is this linked with your startup? Could you maybe help me with that then or something? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I think GDPR is really not all that complicated. Um, the essence of what it's trying to bring is give ownership of data back to the individual. It's not okay for a corporate to decide to send you a newsletter or to use your personal data for another purpose than what you've given them um, access to. And If you are doing that, GDPR is really just a framework that allows you to do it in a legal way. I think the corporates that struggle most with uh, GDPR compliance are companies that are using your data for uh, all the wrong reasons. If you look, for example, at Facebook, for for Facebook, it's a huge challenge to be GDPR compliant Mm -hmm. because they're pretending to be a social network, but they're actually um, a personal data store or marketplace that that allows uh, they make money on the back of your data without explicitly telling you that they're doing so um that's why they got into problems <laughs> yeah <laughs> one of the reasons they one got of the into reasons problems. <laughs> but uh yeah we're we're providing an alternative and mm-hmm. we're hoping that uh even the large corporates and that's that's i think that's the main power gdpr brings like even the facebook's and the googles of this world have to comply to regulation and they have to start treating personal data in a different way. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think with Juru, we've built a beautiful solution where we say um, the individual is the ultimate owner of his personal data. He's the only one with a private key. So in, in And we're building a blockchain network where we're actually saying um, the individual decides what he shares and who he shares it with. And it's very important to have uh, qualitative data So not only allow, do we allow you to share your data, but we also allow uh, third parties to provide attestations to your data. Mm-hmm. So that if I'm sharing my data, for example, with uh, Tomorrowland or with the nightclub, and I want to get in, I no longer have to show my identity card revealing too much personal information. Mm-hmm. The only thing I could show is a token. Mm-hmm. And if they scan it, they can see this person is over 18 Mm -hmm. and uh, KBC, for example, has validated the age token. Mm -hmm. So you're only sharing the minimal data set that's Mm -hmm. required for a service to to work. Um, 
coming to your question of if you go to the US, for example, I think if you make it in Europe, if, if you're GDPR compliant, then you can roll out on a global scale. Uh, most privacy laws are less strict than the European ones, uh, especially if you go uh, to the US, they have a very different idea of, mm -hmm. of privacy. Um, and I always thought that the US market was a long way ahead of Europe, mm -hmm. especially when it came to data protection. But we went there uh, for a startup competition last month mm -hmm. and we actually won the competition. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and a lot of companies from the US are actually approaching us now to say, like, we want to become user-centric and, mm -hmm. and we understand that Europe is actually leading the way there. Mm -hmm. um, so so actually what the European government did there then is actually, how do I say it, really thinking future-proof and giving the right example. Absolutely. And yeah. I think because they are enforcing it on a global scale, mm -hmm. every US company that's active in Europe or mm -hmm. as customers in Europe also has to be GDPR mm -hmm. compliant. So we're really setting the tone. Mm -hmm. And I think from an economical point of view, we're also creating uh, some kind of relevance for for European developers. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Tom, I'm going over to you now. If I understand correctly, you have to be even more compliant because you're dealing with personal and sensitive information from patients. Could you explain to us what, what exactly it is that you do, what data that you gather, and how do you deal with it? How do you manage it? Yeah, yeah so exactly if you're in the medical uh, domain, you treat sensitive data, and so you're in the most uh, severe uh, part of the GDPR uh, legislation. Um, the data we capture, I think um, it's important that uh, to only capture data that is relevant. Eh? So not over ask uh, patients and not capture data that's not relevant for the purpose of your uh, application. So the data, uh, that's I think the concept of data minimization, uh, I think it's how it's called. So the data we ask from the patient up front is uh, age and gender. Mm -hmm just in order to avoid to ask a gynecologist uh, questions to a man mm -hmm. for example or ask a woman how it's with her prostate uh, it's a it's a stupid or, or ask a, an adult pediatric question so that's why we need age and gender and it's very relevant um, so that's the data to start with of course we need the name of the patient in, a, in, in order to enable to link them to the right doctor so the doctor knows that patient x is in front of uh, of him uh, and then the other data we collect is data about symptoms so what is your eh, health complaint what is your symptom and then we ask what we call quantificating questions about symptoms the most easy example is uh, fever mm -hmm. so the quantificating question is how much fever mm -hmm. uh, but for example um, if i take diarrhea mm -hmm. there's uh, 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 I, there are a lot of questions to quantify what this patient means by doctor i have diarrhea mm -hmm. um, so that's the advantage of our application if we ask these questions up front a patient can think about uh, mm -hmm. about the symptoms um, and from a GDPR's uh, point of view it all starts with the uh, informed consent of uh, of the patient so it's the patient 
who needs to be informed in very understandable, easy to understand language, why we are asking these questions, what will we do with this uh, uh, data? Um, and if the, if the patient uh, gives a consent, uh, voila, then, uh, then we can share with the doctor who gave us the permission to uh, interview the patient. Mm -hmm. So there's a legal framework between three parties. There's the doctor who's actually the responsible for the data collection and um, how do you say that management? Because it's the doctor who, yeah, who gives us the um, the uh, permission to uh, interview the patient. Um, one of the other uh, requirements, if you're treating sensitive data, is to have a DPO. So you're obliged to have a DPO. Uh, which is not the case for other uh, other data uh, handling uh, companies. So we have a DPO and then, yeah, there's some formal uh, requirements so we all comply with. Uh, but I think the idea is just, I most of the GDPR things, uh, there's a lot of uh, buzz and myths, but it all makes sense, I think. Mm -hmm. It's just logic. Uh, if you treat sensitive data, then you need to be very careful. Uh, but also from a technical point, where do you store the data, exactly. how it's protected, yeah. how do you encrypt, uh, yeah. what technologies do you use for that? Because for you, that must be very important as exactly. well. Because exactly, because you, you don't yeah. want, not for your patient, but not for the image of your company neither, that, uh, that you're hacked or that your data is uh, yeah. leaking uh, somewhere uh, so do you what do you do specific things for that or uh? yeah so we our data is uh, stored in the cloud um, mm. which I think is the most secure uh, way to to store your data we we, uh, we work with uh, Azure uh, so so yeah the data protection or how do you say that uh, the technical protection of the data is secured uh, all the data and all the tokens are hashed with uh, I think technology that uh, the NSA is uh, working with and is advising to you so it's mm -hmm. the, the most advanced mm -hmm. we, we are not using blockchain uh, yet I think it's not relevant now but it will become in the future and I think we will have to talk about. I think you uh, will have to exchange exactly, cards. exactly, because we. I think we have the same uh, philosophy about who needs to be in control of the data. For us, it's the patient who needs to be in control of the data. Today, it's too often the doctor or the hospital who is in control of the data. So we want to give that control to the patient. And I think one of the big advantages we had when we started Bingley is that we don't have historical data. We started with GDPR in mind to so we are gdpr by design or by default or how you, you want to call it uh, so that's the difference but with yeah, a lot of companies who have a who have uh, exactly yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay um very interesting um we're almost going over to the final part of the of the episode where we ask some questions that are coming from uh, from the started community um, but I would like to know from both of you, actually, how did you know about um, Started at KBC? How did you enter? Wow, it's, uh, it's been a while ago. Yeah. Um, how did I start? I think we pitched our idea uh, to Beehive, the fintech hub in, in, in Brussels. And one of the parties that was there was uh, KBC. And they said, like, it's a really great idea. You might want to start it, uh, pitch it at Started. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, a few weeks later we pitched and, and we were selected. So that was, for us, that was really the first step of getting credibility. Mm -hmm. Like if you're, if you're doing a startup, I think the hardest thing 
is gaining credibility. You have no reference projects. You have nobody that believes in you and, and you have nothing backing you. And like for us, putting the logo of KBC started uh, on, on our slides was like... It gives you a bit more the cachet and the credibility. Like absolutely. if if an accelerator like that can believe in, in your product and helps you with... Um, um, supports you in uh, in your journey yeah it's for getting customers and everything it can yeah so for us it, it was definitely it, yeah. it came from from kbc yeah. itself and then of course Koen Vingerhoots, one of our mentors yeah he yeah. was the guy yeah. <laughs> he was the guy at the beehive as well so. yeah okay voila you see and for you tom i don't remember exactly but i think that we were uh introduced or we yeah that it was innovatie center innovatie centrum vlaanderen which is now in, integrated in vlaio yes, yes. we started uh, we started with them because we had other projects with uh, innovatie centrum and our um, advisor there i think he talked about uh, uh, started at kbc and then we applied for the uh, for the pitches and were selected um, and then actually once we 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 were integrated in this uh, startup uh, ecosystem uh, yeah a lot of doors opened to other uh, programs incubators we are also in the um, i start uh, um, program of emac but it all started with uh, uh, with kbc so uh, yeah i also have to say it gives yeah credibility because the people know that uh, yeah to be part of of uh, started there's a selection so it's not everybody so um voila yeah that that was uh, really interesting for us that a lot of doors opened also it allowed us to have visibility because you're uh, in the communication and there's some uh, uh, fairs or you can pitch uh, you can have a pitching uh, event uh, these things uh, for us it's important that the more people know about us the better and 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 uh, started gave us this platform uh and then um yeah, we had our, I don't know, coach or advisor, uh, Dirk, uh, Dirk Leves, uh, who has expertise in, in, uh, or a network in the, in the medical, um, exactly. in the medical area. And he, uh, he helped us to, yeah, to be in contact, to link us to some, uh, or introduce us with some uh, very interesting and relevant people. Mm -hmm. So, so that helped also a lot. Yeah. yeah that really helped you also yeah. to get to the next level. Yeah. yeah opening the doors yeah, again eh? exactly yeah. Yeah. it's always easier when there's a person yeah. uh chauffeur in between yeah. <laughs> that uh helps you yeah. with yeah. that yeah. yeah i think what was also really helpful for us is is started at kbc really selects startups that are still in ideation mm -hmm. phase um, whereas most other accelerators require you to have an mvp or a working yeah. prototype so they get in very late in the game. It's yeah. it's really nice to see that that um, some accelerators mm -hmm. actually believe in the idea more than in the execution. Mm -hmm. And I we're actually at the moment open for all the phases. Yeah. So uh, you can see that it it's also very helpful for the other startups to see like okay the different phases. If you're sitting next to someone who's already in build phase or in go to market phase and you're still in ideation, you can ask relevant questions to them because they just went through it like a couple of months ago. Yeah. 
yeah, I think you do. If you walk around here and talk to the newbies, they could um, really learn a lot from from you, or when they listen to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that's also interesting. It's the, it's the it's the network, it's the group, because uh, yeah, most of the things you learn of talking to each other, because everybody is living the same thing, has other insights, and and sharing this and offering a platform to share that is uh, is so important. Mm -hmm. It's very exactly. important. Yeah. Okay, then let's go over to the community questions. I'm going to start with you, Dimitri. Um, someone asked, the tools that I'm using for my startup, are they GDPR proof, like MailChimp, Google Analytics? And what do I have to do to be GDPR compliant if I'm using those tools or is it automatically? Um, I think most uh, big international companies like, like the ones you mentioned, they have taken care of the technical hurdles mm -hmm. of becoming GDPR compliant. So they store their data in a good way. They um, make sure that the security is okay. What they will never take care of is the way you use the tool. So I think um, in GDPR, there's two very distinct things. On the one side, there's the technical part that needs to be okay. And most tools have been working on becoming compliant uh, in the last two years. But the second part i think is the most important one um, the the way you process your data the, the actual process within your company that has nothing to do with it but it's how do you capture data what data do you capture why do you capture it it's more um, structuring this and structuring your data flow that's something mailchimp will never solve mm -hmm. i think the same goes for crm tools like salesforce the tool is gdpr compliant but you shouldn't uh, feed feed it with uh, databases of personal data that, that, that you not. haven't acquired exactly. in the right way. So Okay. And um, another question um, for you, Tom. It's not really um, linked to data, but something that's very important to our to our startups because a lot of our startups are B2B. And I think maybe, Dimitri, you can also um, add to that later. Um, how do you find the right partners and get them to work with you? Like, for instance, the hospitals and the doctors. It is difficult sometimes to get into contact with those big institutions. It takes a long time. How do you get in? Well, fortunately for us, for the, the bigger institutions, there are a lot of uh, initiatives in, in, in Flanders, in Belgium, like, for example, Infocare or Ahuria. Um, so there's a lot of um, organizations that can help companies in matchmaking. They organize events. Uh, um, we had one last this week, uh, Tuesday, uh, where we met like uh, 30 hospital uh, directors and medical directors of hospitals. I, that's impossible as a startup to, to organize, to, to visit all these people. So you have to use these, yeah, the things that exist. Uh, but also you have to know that um, these big institutions like hospitals, they are also all the time looking at innovation. How can we better help our patients? How can we be better organize the work? How can we be the first to offer this? Don't underestimate that. Uh, the, the, They're the, also a company. Uh, exactly, yeah. exactly. They want to be first movers. And uh, uh, you, so you have to identify these people and play on these uh, uh, more emotional uh, arguments. Um, 
for us so i don't know if that answers the question yeah, uh, i think yeah. so yeah it yeah. does and mm-hmm. then dimitri for you it, because you're now uh, working with the government i think that's also not as easy to get into however maybe you were just there on the right place and the right time with the right solution um absolutely <laughs> but it's not because you have the right solution mm-hmm. that you, that you get in mm-hmm. um you have to find the right people um as tom said it's um that's the most important part and and for us that was also the networking like uh, Agoria, like Beehive. Um, we also joined HR Tech Valley and they create forums where you can actually Get meet into corporates. Yeah, yeah. And I think especially when it comes to personal data and identity, you have to be very high up in the chain. You will not go through procurement. You need to get um, to the right level. Mm. And for us that actually worked automatically as soon as we mentioned what we're gonna do the first or the second meeting uh, we had at kbc was actually at board level Uh, same goes for belfius same goes for most hr companies because what what you're doing is very crucial and i can imagine that it's the same with you If, if you're storing patient data you you're not going through regular sales cycles you're actually it's a strategic decision um yeah I can confirm that for us, for example, if you have meeting with uh, with the hospital, we meet the the hospital director and the medical director because we have a medical solution, but also a business solution. So you have to talk immediately with the right people, and if they say si- if they say we are interested, we go. Then then it will be done. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so so it's really important to yeah. And to aim for the right level and not aim too low. You you have to be bold. You have to be ambitious and say, guys, I have a solution for you, but I want to talk with the, the decision makers. Yeah, yeah, really have the guts to, yeah, yeah. to go out there. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I can absolutely also confirm this. Like uh, when you get in at the right level with the right solution, um, most talks go really well. Again, another inspiring conversation. Thank you, Dimitri and Tom, for joining us. And a big thank you to our listeners. If you have a question for the Started at KBC community you want answered, post it in the comments and we might ask them to our guests in the next episode. Started at KBC podcast. This podcast is made possible thanks to our strategic partners, KBC, Telenet, the Kronos Group, Accenture, Mobile Vikings, Flanders DC, Join, IMAC and the University of Antwerp.